0: Portland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer. Hope you've had a good week. Hope you haven't had as wet a week as we've had here in New Jersey and environs. Make yourself comfortable wherever you are, whatever time it is where you are. Pour a cup of coffee or get a can of brew, sit down, and let's talk. First and foremost, to open the show, we haven't had to do this that I'm aware of since the podcast began. But we've got to say goodbye to a Hall of Famer. And that's the Orioles' famous number five, Brooks Robinson. He passed away on Tuesday evening, the 26th. He was 86 years old. That bulletin came to me just minutes before I was going to go on Zoom and connect with Mike Rainix, who's going to be today's Baseball Lifer guest. Mike Reynix puts up lots of old baseball games from from the 1930s on, and he puts them on YouTube on Classic Baseball on the Radio. That's his web channel on YouTube. So he'll be on in a little while. And we were just about to link up when I heard about Brooks Robinson passing away. And so I knew that before we brought Mike Rainix on, There was going to be some Brooks Robinson sound in 1970. Brooks Robinson won the world series MVP. You're going to hear some sound from game three. You're going to hear a two RBI single that he hit. And you'll have actually two recordings of that one from Kurt Gowdy, the second from Jim Simpson. And then you'll hear an outstanding defensive play that he made. One of many. Maybe the best one. We'll talk about that after you've heard the 2RBI single. So, the next voice you'll hear is from the first inning of game three of the 1970 World Series with Brooks Robinson stepping to home plate. The next voice will be that of Kurt Gowdy. Brooks has a number of milestones in 1970 as Buford at third, Frank Robinson at second, Paul Blair at first. Came up with his 2,000th hit this year and his 1,000th RBI, both against Washington's Joe Coleman. Left center dropping in, one run is in.
1: Robinson scoring. In the second goes Brooks Robinson, and the Orioles lead two to nothing. Three two strikes. There goes Robinson again. High ball four. The bases are loaded with Brooks Robinson coming to bat. Brooks Robinson, who turned in two fine plays, a double play starter and a line drive ender of the first inning in this ball game, and of course has been the fielding star of the series thus far, he is hitting 250, and his home run won the first World Series game four to three. All the runners edging off. Flanagan ready to throw, drive out into the alley in left center field. It'll drop between the them, picked up by Pollan. One run scores, two run scores. They run the ball comes into Tony Perez, it is two to nothing on a double by Brooks Robinson, and what a series
0: he is having. So the two descriptions of Brooks Robinson hitting a 2-RBI single in Game 3, Inning 1 of the 1970 World Series. Jim Simpson was second, Kirk Gowdy was first, Gowdy was on NBC TV. We rarely use a TV sound, but... That was one of those where Kurt did an especially good job describing what happened, and then you heard Jim Simpson describing it on the radio. Now, the next play that we have is Brooks Robinson making an outstanding defensive play. This is in the sixth inning, so Jim Simpson had done the first half on the radio, and in the second half it was the Reds. Play by play broadcaster of the day, Jim McIntyre. He won, fetched the bench, drilled
1: a stamp on the ball. A line stopped at Cook Robinson side and grabbed it in his for a third out to the side. What a play! Wow. All right, Robinson is something.
0: He had 16 gold gloves. For a third baseman, 16. No other position player has that many gold gloves or anything particularly close. I know of one guy, Nolan Arenado, another third baseman who has 10, but that's still a long way from 16. So the Orioles Hall of Fame third baseman, Brooks Robinson, now belongs to history. Rest in peace. When we return, We'll have our guest, Mike Rainix, and we'll talk about how he got into sharing baseball games with the world, not just collecting them as some of us do, but collecting them and putting them out there on YouTube for the rest of us to enjoy. Mike Rainix does that, and he'll talk to us about it next after a word from our sponsor. This is the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Keep it where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies.
1: You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office.
0: Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong and fix it.
1: On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860,
0: courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here with you. My guest is Mike Rannix, and before I describe what you do, first of all, welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you for having me. You think about old baseball games, the normal term for people who have lots of them is a collector. I'm certainly one. Um, There are others. uh, Eric Patton has already been on this program and he's a collector. And the most famous one was John Miley in Evansville, Indiana. Mike, you consider yourself a game sharer as opposed to a game collector. That's a unique term as far as I'm concerned
2: you know, the way that I happened to get into it all was more therapeutic for myself. And, you know, the you know, listening to the broadcast was a therapeutic thing for myself and it just seemed natural to try and share them with as many other people, uh, make them as easily accessible uh, to the people that would enjoy them, uh, you know, enjoy them the most. Um and so I never really thought of it as you know how many games can I, you know, get in my collection. It was more you know how many games can I, you know, share with other people. And uh, you know, as I saw the re- the response from, you know, the people who either you know were at that game or, you know, remembered that game from for some noteworthy moment of their life, um, and especially uh, you know at the time when this all started my grandfather was in a nursing home so i would bring uh i would bring them to the nursing home and share them with a lot of the people who were there um and you know seeing the the way that they they enjoyed being brought back to that time and then in turn they would share with me stories about you know baseball in those days and it would allow me to connect in a way to what baseball was like back then people should hear this stuff and people should be able to enjoy this you know I just always felt like well I have you know some technical ability and uh, I love baseball so uh, sharing stuff just seemed like a natural thing to try and then when I saw that you know, it meant something to people. It just felt like, no, I don't want to say it felt like a duty, but it felt sort of like, you know, if I don't share this stuff, uh, that would be almost be very wrong. Uh, because, you know, it means a lot to people and, you know, we got a great group on the channel, you know, you know, they share so many memories and they fill in a lot of blanks about certain games and it in turn, what it gives me, it gives me so much more knowledge about the game, but also a better understanding of, you know, how baseball has evolved and, and also how big it was back then. You know, I grew up in an era where, you know, it was the big four sports. And my dad always used to tell me about how baseball used to be the only sport in a way I tend to stay away from the term collector and, you know, I feel like I'm more just the, you know, not to sound corny, but the, the chosen messenger, you know, uh, someone somewhere decided, you know, you have enough technical ability to do this. And there's a lot of people out there who, you know, YouTube is a very easy way for anyone to listen to things. So, you know, it was almost like a perfect match, and I'm just trying to share every single thing that I, you know, that I get and that I have so that, you know, as many people can enjoy it, remember, share their memories. With the games, it's always been, you know, okay, how can I get this out there as fast as possible for, you know, other people to to enjoy? Because that's what baseball is really all about. You know, it's a, you know, thing – that's you know always been meant to be enjoyed, and you know with something like a you know with with a YouTube channel you get you know to enjoy it in a community it brings all sorts of people together. Um, I was shocked that there was actually you know some of our some of the listeners are younger than I am, and I always thought you know I would be the youngest. Um, and but it's something you know it. it Across his generation, Uh, every time I post a game, you know, I never know if I might be posting, you know, the first game that someone went to. The driving factor is just, you know, get the stuff out there and let people enjoy it, let people discuss it, let people remember.
0: Don Wardlow here with Mike Randix. You mentioned the YouTube channel, and I'll tell you which one it is. It's called Classic Baseball on the Radio. And we'll talk about that more, but before you ever heard an old game, Mike, tell me about your background and how you got into baseball as a young fan.
2: Um, I would have to definitely thank my my father and my my oldest brother. My father worked for a company in in Manhattan that had season tickets to the Mets. Um, so I believe eighty eight would have been my first game at Shea. I was only about seven at the time, so it was very overwhelming. You know, all these sights and sounds, so to speak. One of my first memories is, uh, I believe, a game in 88 where Daryl Strawberry won it on a uh, walk-off double. And I remember walking through the tunnels, clutching my dad's hand after the game to get out of the stadium. And to hear all of these, you know, grown adults chanting Daryl <laughs> uh, was such a surreal experience at that age. And then obviously, you know, with, you know, playing in little league and those sort of things. Um, and I always, you know, I always loved the pace of baseball. Even as, you know, a kid, I never felt like it was, you know, too slow or anything. I, I liked that I could have a conversation with my dad as we were watching the game. As you know, while we were at the game, and then obviously, you know, getting into baseball that early, I had a bedtime. So the TV was, you know, only an option up until a certain point. So I had to sneak the radio into the bedroom. Oh, yeah. And sort of tuck it underneath the pillows so that if they checked in, they couldn't hear it, but I could hear it. You know it. <laughs> and uh, Who can do that? you know one of one of the earliest i would say baseball radio memories that i have would probably be 1993's American League Championship Series when the mariners came back against the yankees i remember listening to griffey scoring the winning run to defeat the uh when the mariners beat the yankees and i'll never forget you know cuz it was just one of those plays where you're hanging on every word from the announcer.
0: You know, that would be an extremely painful memory for me, except for one thing. That night, that Sunday night in October, was the night I really acquired my first bridgehead with the lady who was going to become my wife. You know, we went from being friends to being an item somewhere in the middle innings of that ballgame. So I Forgiven the Mariners for winning it because of what that led to.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I've never uh, I know a lot of Matt fans uh, are you know anti-Yankees. Uh, I am not that way at all. Uh, you know, I uh, I respect the Yankees very much, uh, and especially at that age, I just enjoyed listening to baseball. Obviously, as a young kid, Ken Griffey Jr. was so easy to look up to, and he was such an exciting player. Uh So there might have been a part of me in that game that, that was pulling for the Mariners, but I also, you know, I, I loved Mattingly. Um, so it's, you know, a bit sad because I definitely wanted to see Mattingly win before he retired.
0: You mentioned 88 Mets, and that was... The year I began to go to Shea and Yankee Stadium with my seeing eye dogs. And one thing I noticed was on the train to Shea Stadium, they talked a lot more baseball than they did on the train to Yankee Stadium.
2: I don't think my first train experience would actually come until until I was actually old enough to drive, oddly enough. Uh, we would we were coming in from Jersey. We were in the Passaic uh, County area at that time. So my dad would always drive us in. I think my first train experience wasn't until maybe 17, taking you know, the Long Island Railroad and uh, being on a train filled with everyone's – it's like everyone on the trains going to the Mets game. Uh, it was quite an atmosphere. And uh, it was something I started doing a little bit more. Uh, the only issue with the train, obviously when you're coming from Jersey is if the game goes into extra innings, you have to decide if you're going to be able to catch the bus home in time. So
0: I know that always, one I know that one well,
2: yeah, that would always be one reason why we would tend to go towards the car and while once I finally got my license i I tended to stay with the car even though, you know, back man without GPSs and everything. And you're a young kid, you know, you have one route that, you know, how to get to Shea stadium. And if you make one wrong turn, you know, there was no computer to tell you, you know, how to get there. But luckily, you know, you would, we would look if I, especially if I was by myself or with friends, you know, we would look for other people in vets gear and, and ask them, you know, and, and luckily, you know, they were kind enough to direct us in the, uh, the right way, you know, looking back now, you know, it's lucky that these people were, you know, kind enough to us. Um, I can remember even at the Port Authority, you know, having people write out, you know, what trains I had to take um, and then clutching that piece of paper as if it was, you know, uh, because again, at that time, you know, before you had all the technology in your hand, uh, that piece of paper with those directions was all you really had to go on. You know, but it made for a lot of really fun experiences, especially, you know, when you finally got there, felt like you made it going on the train with a lot of other fans of baseball, like you had mentioned with, you know, the, you know, talking about the game, talking about the team, you know, that was another way for me to just, you know, even just learn more about baseball because, you know, most of my friends my age were, you know, this is early 90s so you know the nba was having its huge surge with jordan the nfl had become much bigger so baseball already felt like then at least for me uh in early high school that baseball was not as cool of a sport as some of the other ones so i almost felt a little bit like an outlier everyone always wanted to talk about you know the other the other sports and i just wanted to talk about baseball but it was always a lot of fun, and again, you know, getting to go to so many games with with my dad, you know, those are, you know, memories that, you know, I will carry with me for my whole life, and, you know, very, very special stuff.
0: Talking with Mike Ranix, who posts many, many old baseball broadcasts on YouTube, everybody who's in the game of old baseball, uh, and there aren't many of us, but, but we all have a different story. I became a collector because when I became a professional announcer, my broadcast partner uh, bought me a bunch of old games, and he said, I want you to listen to as many of the old announcers as you can and hear what they did and try to use that to make yourself a better broadcaster. So how did you begin? Like, when when did you hear your first old-time game, and when did you say, I am going to go ahead and get as many of these as I can and do as much with them as I can?
2: I would say it was probably maybe 2013, as ever from you know some degree of insomnia, and a lot of anxiety when I was, you know, when I was a kid, you know, the Mets announcer was was uh, Bob Murphy, and his voice was always one of the more calming things, calming things in the world to me. You know, and someone gave me a copy of the, I believe it's July nineteen sixty nine. It's the game Seaver pitches against the Cubs. Where he gives up the perfect game in the ninth inning. Yes. Someone gave it to me on two CDs. Just they had just burned it for me, and I forget. You know, honestly, I feel terrible. I forget who it was that actually gave it to me, and they said, you know, you might you might enjoy this. <laughs> and I remember, you know, that night, um, you know, I was having trouble sleeping, and I said, let me let me put this on, you know. And I was locked in for the entire length of the broadcast, and yeah. it, it, you know, and again, for me, it was one of my first times hearing Bob Murphy when he was much younger. um, And also hearing uh, Kiner when he was younger. And Lindsay Nelson was someone who I was not really yet familiar with. As by the time I came along, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't with the Mets. So he was
0: long gone by then. And,
2: um, you know, so I started looking on the internet to see if I could find any other old games. And You know, I found maybe 20 games and they were all cut up into four parts and, you know, they were MP3 files and I've always been a somewhat technical person. So I was able to sort of, you know, gather. But to me, it just seemed like they were they were hard to access to the to the general public.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of work.
2: So what I first did was I would take all the parts of the game of the games that I found um, if I remember correctly, the, uh, the forty nine World Series was one of them. Uh, the sound quality wasn't that great on that one, but again, at that point, I was just you know, you know, looking for anything, and I would I would put them all together into one file so that they would be easier for me to listen to, and that um, I could just sort of have a, a playlist that I could have on shuffle that I could throw on at night if I couldn't sleep um so that was why they had to be all in one file because if i had four parts to each game and i put shuffle on i would just be jumping from game
0: to game constantly yeah i've done some of that those four parters i think they come from internetarchive.org
2: yeah that might be where i you know where i had actually found them and once i had them all in one file i uh so there was something, you know, work-related where I had to start using a, a video editing program. And I had wanted to share one of the games uh, with my uncle. He's a longtime long time Yankee fan, great guy. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, every family event we ever had, I would go right to him the second I got there to talk baseball. Um And I wanted to share one of the games with him. You know, I used the video editing software to basically, you know, just put the title of the game on there, put the audio over it. I uploaded it to YouTube and he was able to listen to it. He had no problem. It was, you know, very simple. And then he asked if I had any more. So I did that with the rest of the first, you know, 15 to 20 games. I believe this is around the time where I named the channel Classic Baseball on the radio and a couple other people were listening and they were commenting and um, some people started messaging and they said, you know, hey, I have, you know, I have this game or that game or, you know, if you want to share it. It felt like every time that I was about to run out of games to share, someone else would just appear and say, Hey, I have a couple more. And for the first few years there, it was just, you know, people would find the channel, they'd be excited about it and they'd want to share what they have. You know, I would just sit up at night, you know, do the encoding and stuff and, and try to just, you know, post as many of them as I could. And, you know, here we are a thousand or so games later. And I, you know, I still sometimes can't believe how long this is all, uh, sort of lasted. I never expected it to really be anything. I never expected, you know, to think we're over 13,000 subscribers or something. And to me, that's just mind boggling. I can remember when, you know, I hit a hundred subscribers and I can remember excitingly telling my dad, um, you know, I got a hundred subscribers to the baseball channel. It just sort of kind of grew out of, again, all that, that, that first, that first game that somebody gave me, and hearing Bob Murphy, and and also you know the older broadcasts are so relaxing because there isn't an ad every fifteen seconds. You know today. And yeah. if you're trying to just relax in your room, the you know, and I'm sure other people with you know anxiety or anything can relate to this. The quietness of those old broadcasts is so serene and so magical that I, you know, it didn't matter what team it was that somebody sent me. Uh, It didn't matter if it was the broadcasters that I was used to. It still had the same effect on me, you know, emotionally and, you know, physically, so to speak. And it just became to the point where, you know, I, I, felt like I couldn't sleep without them at the time. Sometimes, you know, the game would be so exciting that I'd end up not going to sleep just because I wanted to stay up and listen to the game. But from there, it just blossomed into, you know, something that I I never really could have imagined it becoming. But, you know, I'm very glad and, you know, I'm humbled to have been a part of it and to be able to have so many people that, you know, truly enjoy it for for what it is, you know. there's people that every once in a while, someone will come into the chat or they'll post it. And they'll just be like, why are you guys listening to a baseball game? I understand it's not something that everyone's going to get. You know, if I was going to try to start a YouTube channel to reach the masses, this probably would not have been what I picked. But because of that, it's almost like quality over quantity. The You know, the people that we have, you know, that, that are a part of the channel... They offer so much in terms of, you know, information. I've been able to learn about so many other announcers. And I've been able to find, you know, like a wait hoit with someone that I was, you know, unfamiliar with before the channel and completely fell in love with his style. Yeah. So it just started like, you know, just sort of sum it up. It just sort of started with that one game, then just wanting to find some more. And then really realizing, you know, that the target audience for it, maybe it was a little bit older, but I wanted to make it as easy for them to access as possible. And YouTube seemed like the, you know, the natural, you know, natural place for that. Because, I mean, like when I was mentioning, you know, my grandfather in the nursing home, I would be able to, you know, take an old cell phone or whatever wipe it clean, bring it in, give it to one of the people who works at the nursing home. And they would be able to very easily just load up the games and play them for whoever wanted to listen there. So a lot of, you know, that's where really YouTube sort of connected with what I was trying to do just because it was so simple and everybody already knew how to use it. Whenever I premiere a game in the middle of the night and I check sometimes, I'll see 13 people are listening. And, you know, not to sound corny again, but it makes me feel a little bit less alone. Uh, And I hope it does that for the other 13 people that are listening, you know, that we're, we're experiencing this together. We like baseball. We all come from different backgrounds and everybody treats each other with respect. And the only thing that's really important is that you like baseball and appreciate baseball. And I feel like it's a safe refuge from the, uh, you know, the rest of the world that we live in, so to speak.
0: On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Mike Rainix, he shares baseball games. His web channel on YouTube is Classic Baseball on the Radio. And Mike, when I discovered your channel, I subscribed and got notifications And I would get an email, and I still do get an email when you're preparing a new show. And early on, and really until I I was able to contact you, I thought you posted at midnight because you were in California or Hawaii or some exotic locale. I had no idea that we're practically neighbors. I get
2: actually get asked that. You know, it's one of the more common questions that I get asked. Is why do you premiere the games at midnight? I'm awake at that hour, It allows me to listen to them as they're as they're premiering. And there's just this, you know a small group of people who you know, people who work overnights that listen. It's become a home for the people who have a little bit of trouble sleeping at night.
0: Like most blind people, I sleep poorly. And so as often as not, if I'm up at that hour, I grab a premiere that's going on. Or other nights, I have a flash drive with some of the games that help me, like you described, games with Red Barber and Bob Elson, games with Bob Murphy, games that do help me relax some when I do sleep poorly.
2: Yeah, Red Barber is... One of the most calming voices I've ever heard in my entire life. What was it that, I, that Kiner always said about Murphy? Oh, Kiner would always say, here to paint a picture with words, Bob Murphy.
0: Exactly. And, and boy, nobody could do it better than he did.
2: And, but uh, you know, Red Barber, the way that he would describe to you everything from the, you know, from foul pole to foul pole. Yeah. Had that picture in your mind. Uh, yeah. And obviously, you know, when when you're dealing with something like anxiety or sleeplessness, to be able to be transported to you know 1954 Brooklyn yeah is an incredibly powerful thing it's more you know it's more powerful than any medication they can give you or any you know any breathing tricks you can try or anything but uh, a human being's voice putting you somewhere 70 years ago almost and you're able to picture that and that's one of the beautiful things I think about baseball is, you know, because it's for the most part, you know, between those foul poles, it's the same game. It's almost always been. So no matter what age you are, you're able to form that mental picture when you're listening to a good announcer and you're really able to see it. My, my dad always said, you know, when he was a kid that he would always call it watching games on the radio. And I didn't understand what that meant until I, you know, first started really listening to the broadcast. But it's it's it, you're able to to really be brought there and be brought to a space and time through the announcer's voice and through the description. Just such a powerful thing.
0: As we wind up the baseball lifer podcast with Mike Rannick's, um two questions. One is, what is the most modern game in your Collection, are you right up to 2023 or did you stop at a certain point?
2: I believe I have stuff up until about 2010, but I haven't even gotten close to even listening to any of that. Um, we're working our way right now through late 78, early 1979, and getting into a little bit of the 80s. Um, The only game I believe that I've ever even posted that would be after 1986 is the uh, first Mets game at Shea Stadium after 9-11, which I post every year on either 9-11 or September 21st, which was the day that it happened. Um, That's just, you know, that's a special broadcast for a lot of reasons. I'm sure you can understand being from the area um and it's not that modern baseball i'm not you know someone who doesn't like modern baseball but um i just feel like it's uh again i'm still trying to get so much of the old stuff out there also a lot of modern the modern games uh you'll run into a lot more copyright issues because they use a lot more music now um and a lot more of the advertisements will have music in them. So if I try to post them, a lot of times they will get a, uh, you know, I get a copyright strike against the channel. And then you can't actually do premieres for almost like a month uh, if you get a copyright strike. So
0: You're in YouTube jail. I've had that happen a couple of times with my music that I put up.
2: Yeah, no, I try you know, obviously I try to avoid that just because it's it's one of the things that allows you to do premieres. So. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, people just sort of look the other way when it comes to the, uh, the first game at Shea after, after 9-11, just because of its, you know, significance at the time. And, uh, also because, you know, I, I, I was actually at that game with a friend, so I never heard the radio broadcast. So when someone sent it to me, it was really cool to get to listen to it. You know, to a game that I was at, because I've had so many people, you know, on games that I've posted, uh, and most of them I wasn't even born, and you know they would say I'm at I was at this game, you know, so it's the, it's one of the few games where I can post and say, hey, I was at this one, you know, and obviously just because of the, you know, the Piazza home run and
0: you know. and it's tremendous sound quality because it came from F- XM.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, and still, I mean, I've been in the hundreds of baseball games in my lifetime. You know, that was one of the more surreal experiences I think I ever, I ever had in a baseball stadium. And, uh, you know, at the time we all needed it. So it was really, uh, you know, really something special that, uh, you know, me and my buddy that I went with were just talking the other day that we, you know, we can't believe that that was 22 years ago, that baseball game. It still feels like it was yesterday. And, um, you know, I think for me, it's in, in a way it, it helps me understand why, you know, if I post a game from 1970 and it was when, you know, someone was going to their high school prom and they remember listening to the game before their prom. You know, I start to understand and connect a little bit more with where they're coming from. Because for me, it was something that I remember that day still like it was yesterday. I don't have a ton of stuff from the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Certainly don't have a ton of stuff. Nowhere near as much as I had for the, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, but I've also never looked for it. So, and I've never really asked for it. So, I'm hoping that, you know... Again, I with the channel, I, as strange as it sounds, I've been taking it game by game for eight years. Um, and I never really think too far ahead. And, you know, I just try to get them out there as quickly as I can uh, without sacrificing quality or anything like that. And I you know, try to get them out there as quickly as I can. And you know, I was surprised when I saw that I was in 1979 because I was like, wow, we're going to turn it to another decade again. And um, so I guess, you know, the, the answer to that is, really, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully it'll keep going and, Um, again, I don't know, you know, things with copyright, Major League Baseball, that sort of stuff. So, you know, there'll always be hurdles to climb. But, you know, for me, if I always say, you know, even if I could never post another game, I would feel like it was still just a magical sort of run. And, you know, to be able to put that many games out there for people to listen to. And we also have now, um, uh, we have an internet archive link that has most of what we posted on the channel available in MP3 format for the more technical savvy. you want to put them on their iPods, so on and so forth. So just knowing that that stuff is out there, um, and maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe you know, 20 years from now, there'll be another person who can't sleep and decides they want to start a channel and you
0: know they'll cover the the 2000s we've been talking with mike raynex on the baseball lifer podcast the youtube channel is classic baseball on the radio and if you're up at midnight you check your internet go to youtube and you don't know maybe mike has got a game on that particular night you can subscribe and you can get Email notifications so you know when a game is coming. Mike, thanks for taking some time and joining me on the program.
2: Oh thank you so much, Don, for having me. It's absolute honor. And uh, thank you, you know, for how much of your yourself and uh, your life you've given to baseball. Um, you know, you're an inspiration to uh, to all of us, and I uh, genuinely appreciate you having me.
0: Well, thank you kindly. When we come back. I'm going to talk about the games this weekend that will set us up for the playoffs for the 2023 baseball season. This is the Baseball Lifer podcast. Keep it right where you got it. I'm having such a problem
1: at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think we are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860
0: portlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, following our interview with Mike Rannix, Mike continues posting games most nights around midnight on Classic Baseball on the Radio. That's his YouTube channel. Since I did the interview with him, the last couple of games he has posted were the 1975 American League Championship Series, Game 1 and 2, the Red Sox against the Oakland A's. I'm going to close with a few words about what's going to happen this weekend. The two teams in baseball which have the best records the Baltimore Orioles with their 100 wins and the Atlanta Braves with their 103 wins. They've got buys. They don't have to play until October 7th. That will leave some division winners in some wild card series starting on the third. As for the wild cards themselves in the American League, the first wild card as of now is the Tampa Bay Rays. They look pretty solid. Their record is 97 and 62. They'll be facing Toronto, and that's their nearest rival. And Toronto, as of now, holds the second wild card in the American League, and they're trying to hang on to it. They need to beat the Rays at least a couple of times to hold on to that second. Wild card. The teams they have to be concerned about are Houston and Seattle. Houston with eighty-seven wins against seventy-two losses, and Seattle eighty-six and seventy-three. And they're facing each other in a four-game series this weekend. The first game went to Seattle on a walk-off in the ninth inning. That was a wonderful ending. Over in the National League, the Braves have things settled they have 103 wins they have the best overall record in baseball so they'll definitely not have to play until the seventh as of now they've won four in a row and they're going to wrap up this weekend and hope everybody stays healthy they swept the cubs the first wild card in the national league is the philadelphia phillies with 89 wins against 70 losses. The second wild card should be set. And that's the Arizona Diamondbacks. And they are facing Houston. That's a daunting task for anybody. But they, they have to hope they don't get swept by Houston. Then they would end up at 84-78. Their present record is 84 wins, 75 losses. And then the third Wild card in the National League is the most confusing situation of all. You've got Miami, you've got the Cubs, and with distant hope, you've got the Reds. The Marlins had a game suspended last night. They had just gone ahead 2-1 to one in the top of the ninth when it started raining, and they called the game, and the only way that game gets made up is if it still matters to the playoffs. So you have the Marlins with that on their minds. They'll be facing Pittsburgh this weekend. The Cubs will be in Milwaukee. And the Reds will be facing St. Louis. And they'll all try to iron things out to see who plays who starting on Tuesday the 3rd. The wild card series are all two out of three in the highest seeds ballpark. So no traveling during the wild card series. You've been listening to the Baseball Lifer podcast. This is Don Wardlow. I hope you come back and join us again next week. Until then, have a good week.